Now look down in verse 11. Paul's in hot water. He's going to be given a, a defense of why he's doing what he's doing. And because he's a Roman, he could appeal to Caesar, which is what he did. So the Lord had promised him, I'm going to send you to Rome. So he already knew he was going to Rome. But there were some people who were determined to take his life. So trouble is brewing. You notice in verse 11, And the night following the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer. Yeah, right. <laughs> Be of good cheer, Paul. Got some good news for you. For as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem. But listen, when Paul testified, it wasn't always with everybody giving him a standing ovation, no one an applause, and I was glad to hear him. He suffered. But he was still doing what God wanted to him. Just because the results weren't like he wanted or what we would desire, because everybody doesn't always agree, he had to face the music. There's consequences. And he says, as thou hast testified here in Jerusalem, guess what? So must thou bear witness also at Rome. Even though you're going under house arrest, you're on your way to Rome. Yay! God promised. Now, if God told him, you're going to Rome, do you think that if Paul does what he's supposed to do and God said what he wanted him to do, do you think that there's a possibility it might just happen? Good possibility. Do you ever think about maybe you are invincible in the hands of God until God's through with you? Can God keep you alive? Can God allow somebody to take your life? Well, yes. Since we don't know which one it's going to be, we're supposed to rejoice always, regardless. Now look what he says in verse 12. Now, when it was day... Certain of the Jews banded together and bound themselves under a curse, saying that they would neither eat nor drink till they had done what? Till they killed Paul. Now, look how many people did this. And they were more than 40 which had made this conspiracy. So there's 40 men had gotten together, swore an oath, they will not sleep or eat. What was that there? Oh, they're not going to eat nor drink. I guess they could sleep. Eat nor drink until they kill Paul. Now, so far in your Christian life, how many people do you know has taken an oath like that for you? You have anything to complain about? If you really want to take and say, it's such a heart. Wait a minute. Look what some of these guys went through. You really want to be like Paul. You want God to use you like Paul. Well, you've got to pay the price of a man like Paul, too. Look what else he says. In verse 14, And they came to the chief priests and elders and says, We have bound ourselves under a great curse, that we will neither eat nothing until we have slain Paul. And so the chief priest says, Don't do that. No, they didn't say that. Now, therefore, in verse 15, Therefore, ye would the counsel signify... To the chief captain that he bring him down unto you tomorrow, as though ye would inquire something more perfectly concerning him. And we, or even ever he come near, are ready to kill him. Now, it just so happens, by a coincidence. You see, Paul had a sister. 
And Paul had a sister who had a son who just happened to hear what was said. So you look what he said in verse 3. And when Paul's sister's son heard of their line and wait, he went and entered into the castle and told Paul. Then Paul called one of the centurions unto him, said, Bring this young man unto the chief captain, for he hath a certain thing to tell him. And he took him and brought him to the chief captain and says, Paul, the prisoner, called me into him and asked me or prayed me to bring this young man unto him, unto thee, who hath something to say unto thee. Then the chief, chief captain took him by the hand and went with him aside privately and asked him, What is that thou hast to tell me? And he says, The Jews have agreed to desire thee that thou would have bring down Paul tomorrow into the council as though they would inquire somewhat of him more perfectly. But do not thou yield unto them, for there lie in wait for him of them more than forty men which have bound themselves with an oath that they will neither eat nor drink until they have killed him. And now are they ready, looking for a promise from thee. So the chief captain then let the young man depart and charged him, See thou tell no man that thou have shown these things to me. Just a coincidence that somebody accidentally overheard, just happens to be Paul's nephew, just coincidence, huh? At the right time, the right ears, heard the right thing, did the right thing. And yet, here's Paul, totally at the mercy. He has to trust the Lord to get him through it. So look what he says in verse 23. He called unto him two centurions, saying, Make ready two hundred soldiers to go to Caesarea, and horsemen threescore and ten, and spearmen two hundred at the third hour of the night. 470 Roman legionnaires are ready to move at night to take this one man safely through. Now, do you believe God was watching over this? Didn't God say, hey, I'm going to bring you all the way to Rome? And there was a time when Paul was a little on the scared side. He didn't hurt so much, beat up so bad. And the Lord says, it's going to be okay. You're going to make it. When you read the last part of Acts and he gets in this great big old ship, and then there's a shipwreck, and all the things that happen. And uh, because of Paul, he saved everybody's life. They were called the shipites. No, but they were used of the Lord. But God can watch over you and bless and move in strange and mysterious ways. You just be found faithful in serving the Lord. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. All kind of things can happen. It's just like, for example, I uh, had some news that... Uh, Jesse was driving his car, and somebody else decided to drive his car for him and hit him from the side. But you realize how quickly something could have happened? Very bad. But it just happened to the car. No big deal. Just a car. Jesse's more important than the car, so we're thankful that the Lord watched over him, protected. But you don't know how serious Satan takes your dedication. He may take your dedication more seriously than you do because he's going to do everything he possibly can to stop you, and he doesn't care how he has to do it. Take your Bible and look in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. There's an interesting scripture here 
that lets you get a, a, an idea of the way Paul was. And maybe a little bit of an idea why God chose to use him in the way that he did. Now, of course, God couldn't make Paul trust him. God didn't make Paul serve him. Paul agreed with the Lord. He did believe on the Lord. And he did decide to serve the Lord. And he says, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling. You see, there's more than just salvation. Salvation is a great thing. It's what gets you into the kingdom of God. But you were not there yet in as far as we're not in heaven. We, we're still here. And there's so much that God wants us to do. But look in 1 Timothy chapter 1. He tells us about all these, the bad things. And the law is not for the righteous man, but the law is for the, the ungodly and the unfaithful and all that kind of stuff. Then he says there in verse 11, according to the glorious gospel, the glorious gospel is the gospel of perfection. You see, if the gospel cannot make you perfect, the gospel isn't any good. If the gospel cannot prepare a man for eternity, it can't prepare you at all. Because your works can't do it, but grace can. And so this is why when we talk about when you trust Christ as your Savior, you've got to be perfect to go to heaven. Well, evidently trusting Christ as your Savior makes you perfect in Christ. So he says... According to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was, and here's those words, committed to my trust. Paul says, I have been entrusted with the gospel. Even so we speak, not as pleasing man, but God which trieth our heart. Now, where is that verse found? Anybody ever heard that verse before? 1 Thessalonians 2, 4. Very, very good. All right, now notice what it says. In verse 12, and I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me for that he counted me faithful putting me into the ministry. See, you be found faithful, God will put you in the ministry. You just do what God wants you to do, be found faithful. And now notice what verse 13 says. Here is his resume. Now, does he have the resume that's fit for a missionary? I bet if the Apostle Paul was here today and went around and tried to raise the missionary support, they wouldn't even let him into church. I mean, he wouldn't qualify you. I mean, you got what kind of a test? You did what? Who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly as an unbeliever in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying. Worthy of all acceptations, or mean worthy for everybody to accept, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Look what he has done. Look how he has lived. And if he can save the chief, he can save all the Indians, right? right. Now notice, he even refers to that as an example. Howbeit, for this cause I obtain mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering. For a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. If God can save a man like Paul, God can save anybody. That's the point of this. That's why he says up there uh, also came into the world to save sinners. Okay, now if he came to save sinners, and everybody's a sinner, then he really came to save the whole world. Wouldn't you think? And everybody here qualifies. Now, one little statement that I want to give to you. In verse 19, because some people's testimonies after they trust the Lord is not maintained. 
And therefore, he says here in verse 19, holding faith and a good conscience, which some, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck. Now, you can't have shipwreck unless you're in the ship. You have to be in the ship to have shipwreck. People have to be in the faith in order to shipwreck themselves. So there's some of God's children that never launch out from the deep because of being afraid. They keep their feet on the land, and they don't trust getting away from the shore. So there's times whenever you get too close to this world, and you're going to have shipwreck. And this is what happens, and so this is why it's so important to keep these in mind. Now, there's a, a scripture that I think is very important to say. Look there in the book of Philippians. Philippians in chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Now, all this is about the apostle Paul and what he was like before he ever trusted the Lord. Remember, whatever you have done in your past is not good. Now, you don't glorify your sin, but I do believe that you can use your life, your whole life, things about your life in such a way that can bring glory to the Lord. Remember, this morning, whenever I was speaking about how I know that God loves me, when I made the statement, I've never heard my mother or my father ever say the words, I love you. That's the truth. I heard my mother say one time, well, you know that I love all my kids. That's the closest that I ever heard her get. Now, I believe my mama did love me. Now, dad, I really don't know. But I do believe my mama did. But wouldn't you like to hear it once in a while? You'd like to hear it. And uh, it's like this guy, he got married, told his wife he loved her. 30 years later, she says, "Hun, you don't tell me you love me anymore. Well, if it ever changes, I'll tell you. So, but they still want to hear it over and over again. You read the scriptures, and you'd be surprised how many times they talk about the love of God, the love of God. But there's parts of your life that can help people to get a sense of what you're talking about, where you're coming from. Here in Philippians in chapter 3, look what he says in verse 4. Those who want to put confidence in who they are and what they've done, he says, let, let me kind of give you a little background story here. He says, though I might have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me in this life, those I counted loss for Christ. I'd rather give all that up and have Christ than to keep all of that and not have Christ. He says, as he makes a statement in verse 9, he says, And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Because at one time, see, he trusted all of that. And then he found out that's nothing more than, like he says here in verse 8, he said, I count it but dung, fertilizer, that I may win Christ. So Paul had quite a resume, I mean, quite a story. But God used him in a great way. And there's things in your life that you probably have done that you may not be proud of. You don't have to glorify it, but it is sometimes good to be able to use 
even sometimes your failures in life, lessons that you've learned. What has God taught you? I asked a man one time, I says, so what has God been teaching you lately? And he looked like he went into a state of shock, like God ain't teaching me anything lately. Don't you think God should be teaching you something all the way through life? You're learning something, learning some lessons. Is Christ supposed to be more precious to us now than he was before? I think so. Take your Bible and turn to the book of Galatians. Just turn to your left, to the book of Galatians in chapter 1. Galatians in chapter 1. See, after Paul had his um, experience with the bright light on the road to Damascus, he says, I didn't confer with flesh and blood. It wasn't a man that taught me what I'm teaching today. He says, but I certify you in verse 11, brethren, that the gospel which was preached to me is not after man. He didn't learn his message from the other apostles. Now, later on, he did go to Jerusalem, and he did meet the other apostles, but um, he says um, they added nothing to him. It's just that they agreed that one would go to the Jews and one goes to the Gentiles, but that was the Lord's decision. And so they understood that, and there was no problem. And Paul didn't actually look up too highly, you know, for the other apostles. He says, um, you know, it didn't matter to me. But see there in verse 6 of chapter 2, But of these who seem to be somewhat, whatever they were, it maketh no matter to me. God accepteth no man's persons. For they who seem to be somewhat in conference added nothing to me. But contrarywise, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision, the Gentiles, was committed unto me, as the gospel of the circumcision was committed unto Paul. So, yeah, they got together and so forth, and they, they understood. There's more to that, but we don't have time for that right now. But look there in verse 12 of chapter 1. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. He knew that his message was true. He got it straight from Jesus Christ himself. Now, there is a possibility that if he was a Pharisee and part of the Sanhedrin there in Jerusalem, even when Jesus was there, they may have had times when they met. I don't know. That doesn't really say. But he knew about Christ, and he knew about the disciples, and that's why he was trying to kill this movement, those that were of the way. And so he says here in verse 13, For ye have heard of my conversation, or my manner of life, my behavior, in time past, in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it, and profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb, called me by His grace to reveal His Son in me. You ought to underline that. To reveal His Son in me that I might preach Him among the heathen. Immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. So Paul was an unusual man. And all those experiences that he had and the way that he was, when he trusted the Lord, he was just as on fire and fervent as he was before he ever <laughs> trusted the Lord. You see, his character or temperament didn't change. 
He went after it with the same zeal now with the truth that he was going after it before with a lie. When you read the book of Romans in chapter 10, when it says that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge, he ought to know. For they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. He says, I bear them record. He says, I know this. He said, being ignorant of God's righteousness, going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. He says, I know. He says, I was there. So you have something that's really good in God using someone that had a lot of baggage. But baggage that when you open them up, there's all kind of stories and illustrations that can be used for the Lord's work. Now, there's things that has happened in your life that God has done for you and delivering you or teaching you some lessons that you can use as an advantage. They're for a reason. Every one of us have got stories that we can tell. And some people say, well, nothing ever happens to me. Yes, it does. You just don't know how to tell the story. Search your own life. Examine yourself. Find out what has God done for me. And you can be able to make wonderful stories and illustrations for those things that God can be able to use. Now, I want you to look in 1 Corinthians in chapter 15. 1 Corinthians in chapter 15. The Apostle Paul made this statement. If there's anyone who felt unworthy, Paul did. So he says, for in verse 9, he says, For I am the least of the apostles, am not fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. Now from reading all those other scriptures, we know just what he meant by that. He put them to death. They were put in prison. They were separated from their families. Women also. He was a bad man. And this is why Ananias did not really, well, he wasn't too hip on going to see this man. He says, Lord, don't you know what he's done? Look how bad he is and what he's done to God's disciples. You think the Lord didn't know that? The Lord knew. Don't look down your nose at anybody because you'd be surprised who God can use. God can use anybody. I don't care how bad they've been, how many sins they've done. God can use anybody. And so keep that in mind. But look what he says in verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Now we knew what he was. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Regardless of my testimony, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And you can say the same thing. In spite of my testimony, regardless of how bad I've been, I've been a sinner, <laughs> however many years, I am what I am. Think about this. You take Al back there. He didn't trust the Lord until about 10 years ago, right? Something like that, Al? About 10 years ago. Well, maybe 12. Just think how many years he lived. Think of how many sins he committed. Think of how many sins you can commit in 75 years. He probably started when he was a year old, too. And all those sins. Well, there's no way possible God can use a man that's 76 years old and been that bad. And yet God gave him a wonderful wife, saved his soul, and gave him a great ministry. 
This whole ministry is very thankful for that man. And y'all, there's things that I know that I can't tell you, and I won't tell you, because he won't let me tell you everything. But this man has been a blessing to this ministry, every ministry here. But can God use anybody? He said, I ain't got no money. I ain't got nothing. I'm a nobody. Yeah. Keep on a whining until we get to heaven. But God can use anybody. God can use everybody. God can use you. In your own mind, just say these words. God can use me. God can use me. Even all my failures that brought you shame or something like that. You wish it never happened. You'd be surprised down the road. A story here and a story there could help somebody else tremendously that God can use you. This end represents you and me. The wallet represents sin. We all have sin on us. God loves us. Now, he hates our sin, but he loves us. And the Bible says that since we've all sinned, we're all condemned. We're all bad. None of us righteous. None good. No, not one. No difference. And the Bible says to go to heaven, we have to be without sin. We can't change the situation. The wage of sin is death. We're condemned. This hand represents Jesus Christ. He's the Lord God in the flesh. He came into the world because he loves us, hates our sin because our sin separates us from him. So Jesus Christ, who had no sin, didn't have to die. So he took all the sin of all the world, paid for it on the cross, came back from the dead, and said that if we would believe he did it for us, he would put this payment to our account, and we get to go to heaven on what Jesus Christ did for us. That's such good news. Best news in all the world. Let's pray, shall we? With heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around. If you're here tonight or if you're watching by internet, understand this. God loves you, and so do I. God wants you to go to heaven, so do I. So he tells you to simply believe that when Christ died, he paid for your sins. And if you'll believe it, he said he'd put that payment to your account. And then you have a payment for all of your sins. And if you've got a payment for all of your sin, that means all your sins are paid. It means that you don't have any to pay for. You go to heaven because of what Christ did, not because of anything that you do. You cannot earn it. You can't work for it. For by grace are you saved, and that not of yourself. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And I pray that you'll trust the Lord. With heads bowed, eyes closed, and no one looking around, if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, would you do it right now? Or if you're watching by internet, would you trust the Lord? I pray that you will. And if you're making that decision right now, and you've never done it before, you say, Preacher, pray for me. I will trust Christ right now as my Savior, and I'd like for you to remember me in prayer in closing. Would you slip your, up, your hand up very quickly, put it right back down, then we'll have all. If you're watching by Internet, right on the screen, says, Yes, I'll trust Christ as my Savior. I pray that you will. Father, thank you again for your blessings. Thank you for using somebody like the Apostle Paul, a great example of that not only you can save, but you can use. Thank you for using him. It's an encouragement to each and every one of us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.